the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is used at virtually every public official swearing-in ceremony. It's on the nightstand or it's inside of it. Of most hotels and motels in America, every serviceman has been provided a pocket edition who wants one. It's present at our weddings, our funerals. A good percentage of Americans own a heirloom edition. But for as wide as its availability might be, it is increasingly the least used and less understood and valued book, perhaps, in 21st century America. Sadly, yes, I am talking about Scripture. What can we do to reverse this trend, and how can we better understand the value of the insights that Scripture offers to everyday living? A new book out called The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, written by a gentleman who is no stranger to the KFAX audience. You knew him for many years as uh, uh, frequent appearances on the Bible Answer Man program. In fact, he served as associate editor for the Christian Research Journal and the Christian Research Newsletter. He has authored more than 70 best-selling books, serves as president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, and he is with us tonight. Ron Rhodes, great to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much. It's always good to be with you. You know, Ron, always an irony when we talk about uh, Scripture, because as much as it seems to be, as I suggested in my opening remarks, revered within America, uh, sadly, not only is there a growing proportion of Americans who no longer use Scripture for day-to-day living, there's a good percentage of Christians who kind of look at this book as, well, maybe a combination of some good stories, a lot of historical stuff, uh, but really perhaps have a lessening value or importance placed on its educational and applicable value to daily, daily living. Well, I think you're right about that. I think that today, the thing that people are tending to do is to base their spirituality more on experience than on Scripture. Uh, It used to be that Christianity was considered a facts-based religion. In other words, it's based on the facts of the Bible. But it seems like the Bible has been issued out the back door, and experience and even mysticism has been brought in the front door. And so you're right, there are many Christians who just don't spend much time in Scripture. And In in fact, one of the polls that I came across uh, indicated not only that very few Christians are reading the Bible, but the few Christians that are basically do it during the sermon on Sunday morning. And you know, some of those sermons are getting shorter and shorter these days. Could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. And I have to tell you, that's not enough 
time in the Word of God to understand what it really teaches. Well, moreover, Ron, I think a lot of those sermons are not only getting shorter, but they're also getting shorter on content coming from Scripture and lacking in a tremendous degree of context as well. And I guess to that degree, it may be to the point of your book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, is this notion that um, there needs to be an understanding, an approach, so to speak, when it comes to reading Scripture and applying Scripture, and not everybody quite understands that. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's not just a matter of coming to an intellectual understanding of what the Bible teaches, but it's also supposed to touch the heart. It's supposed to be transformational. It's supposed to be life-changing. I must tell you, I grew up in a liberal church, and in that liberal church there was not a whole lot of respect for the Bible as the Word of God. In fact, it was considered more to be the, the Word of man. And so we really didn't consider it to be something that was life-changing. But you see, then I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and that changed everything. And one of the things I discovered is that the more I spent in God's Word, the deeper I went into God's Word, the more my love for Christ grew. There's a direct parallel there. And it seems like today that even though the Bible is everywhere present, all over the world, it's also invisible. Everybody has a copy, but no one reads it. And one of the things I wanted to do with my new book was to show people how transformational this book really is, how applicational and life-changing it really is. And so I'm basically going against the grain of society, and what I'm talking about is the fact that many say that the Bible is no longer relevant for living today. I challenge that. I think it is absolutely relevant to living today. And I take you from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and I show you all of the the, the really cool, life-changing concepts that are there. And so I'm excited about the book. And, and I have to be I have to be thoroughly candid with you, Ron. When I when I first got my hands on the book, I, I saw the title and I started counting, and I thought, well, son of a gun, uh, all 39 of the Old Testament are there. Oh, all 66 are there. <laughs> He's not getting. And, and I and I, while I offer that partially tongue in cheek, there's also I think this this notion that some believe that well, only portions of Scripture really apply to us today. Uh, some certainly suggest that and might go as far as to say, well, why do we need the entirety of Scripture? Why not a a Bible for today's living abridged edition? Well, that's a good question, and what I try to do in the book is to show people that it's not just the New Testament books, it's not just Old Testament books like Psalms and Proverbs, but rather it's every book in the Bible. This is what we call the whole counsel of God, and God himself told us that we need to understand the whole counsel of God. You know, I think it's helpful to do self-examinations of our spiritual lives, and when you do that, uh, sometimes the results of that self-examination may not be too encouraging. There's a lot of people I've spoken with who feel like maybe they're just not doing well spiritually. Some have said that they've got sort of a spiritual wasteland inside their heart. You know, to me, the Bible is the answer for that, because one of the things we learn from Scripture is that it has a reviving effect on the soul. So if you're a person who's in need of personal revival, this is the place to begin. And you can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you can find applicational concepts in every book. And yes, I'm including books like Leviticus and Numbers and some of those books that nobody hardly ever reads. And so, again, the entire Bible is relevant, 
But for some reason, people have just bought the lie, and I think that lie came from the devil, by the way, They've bought the lie that the Bible has no relevance for today. Well, and perhaps part of this, too, is the fact that we're, we're sort of revealing this notion that we don't really know the true character of God, because if we did, we would understand that there's, there's not much that happens that is accidental, that God, in fact, is very intentional. And when you think about all of the challenges down through the millennia that uh, canon Scripture faced in getting to us today in the complete form that it's in, then I've got to believe that God was being very intentional in not only creating the account, but making the account available to us all these years later from Genesis and the very opening passage to the final period in Revelation, and that the fact that the whole council, the totality of Scripture, is there at our disposal, and it's got to be for a reason. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you just said that. I mean, we're just really resonating. Uh, In fact, I've spoken entire sermons on this topic. The reality is it goes back even further. It's not just that God gave us revelation in the Bible, but God even created human language. When God made man, he gave man and woman human language, not only so that we could communicate with each other, but so that we could communicate with God and God could communicate with us. And aren't you glad that God is not the kind of God who creates us and then leaves us on our own, letting us wander around in the darkness trying to find out some truth? God is not that kind of God. God is the one who is the aggressor in making himself known. He not only created us, but he tells us everything that we need to know to make our lives run optimally. And when I say optimally, I'm not just talking about physical, I'm talking about our spiritual lives. I think that one of the things that we're missing today is that we're not just physical and emotional beings. We're physical, emotional, and spiritual, and each one affects the other. And so a lot of people today are walking around without that spiritual component based on Scripture. And those who do have a spiritual component sometimes have a false spirituality, whether it's a false religion or a cult or some strange version or aberration, even, of Christianity. Well, now, wait a minute, Ron. Now, you're, you're not suggesting, then, that if somebody, for example, takes Anthony Robbins' word or Deepak Chopra's <laughs> word over God's, that there's something wrong with that. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've actually sat under the teachings of some of those guys. I, I've, you know, I'm one of the researchers who actually goes to spend time with the people that I write about. So if I'm going to write about Deepak Chopra, for example, I'll go listen to his lectures in person. If I'm going to go write about psychics, and I've done that uh, in, in my work of apologetics, I actually go to the New Age conventions and I watch them do their stuff. So that way I really know what I'm talking about here. But here's the thing. One of the things that we learned from the Bereans in Acts 17 is that we ought to test everything against Scripture. No matter who says what, even no matter what Ron Rhodes says, you test it against Scripture. And as the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 5, we ought to test all things, and we hold on to the good, but we reject the bad. So I'll listen to what anybody says. I'll even listen to what Deepak Chopra says. But I'm going to test his words against Scripture. And anything that violates Scripture... Uh, I'm going to turn away from, and that's not going to be a part of my spirituality. I think the passage is uh, try or test the spirits and see if they be of God. With us today, one of America's most outstanding Christian apologists, certainly of our times, Ron Rhodes is with us. We're talking about his new book, 
the Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, newly published by Harvest House. And, of course, you'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Ron's website at ronroads.org. That's ronroads.org. A brief time out back to more of our conversation with best-selling author and Christian apologist Ron Rhodes right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. Back to more of our conversation with Christian apologist and best-selling author Ron Rhodes. We made mention earlier on the fact that for a lot of people, sadly, the Bible has been used to record marriages and deaths, press flowers, maybe even hide a 20 spot for emergencies. But as Ron is suggesting, it's not by accident that God has made Scripture not only available to us, but as complete as it is, so that there's more than just historical value to it. There's also educational and applicational value to it. And toward that end, Ron, let's dive a little bit deeper, because as tongue-in-cheek I mentioned earlier, sure enough, you didn't leave any of the books out. You've managed to extract and extrapolate from every single book of the Bible, valuable lessons that are being taught that, in fact, do have a modern-day application to every single believer. I'm curious, even for your field of, of knowledge and expertise of Christian apologetics and the Scripture, were there some things in this process of doing the research and preparing for the new book that even came as a bit of a aha moment for you? Well, I have to say yes. In fact, uh, when I was going through the book of Revelation, that's not normally a book that you think of as having a lot of uh, applicational and transformational truths in. But I discovered that there's a whole lot of application there. Uh, for example, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, there is just so much application there. For example, among the principles that I talk about are, just as God is gloriously enthroned in heaven, so he must be enthroned upon our hearts. Boy, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is this. Take steps to avoid spiritual lethargy and spiritual blindness. You know, that's dealing with the church at Laodicea. And, you know, the whole point that I'm trying to make is, is, is that as you go through each book, whether it's the book of Revelation or some other book, there are some nuggets that you're going to find there that will absolutely change your life. And I must tell you that this all grew out of my own personal quiet times with the Lord. You know, when I spent time in Scripture, what I would often do is just write little principles down in the margin of my Bible. And that was such a blessing to me. And so I, I just started to thinking, you know what, this is such a blessing to me. I wonder if this might also bless some other Christians out there. And, and I, I started to wonder whether this is something that might excite other Christians about the Word of God. And so that was my motivation in writing this book. Is there also some effort in this process, Ron? And I I ask this question in all seriousness, particularly coming from uh, a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, where we have the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation. And oftentimes when we talk about either the, the grander topic or larger topic of Christianity or more specific to Scripture, um, both are often either seen as irrelevant or extreme. Well, that's true, and I think that's a growing trend. The, the, the latest polls indicate that that's a growing viewpoint uh, among uh, people in America and around the world. But what I think we have to do is to sort of get, a, get rid of this smoke screen that's out there with people kind of blindly walking around 
and to give people something that they can use that works in real life. And that's what I'm trying to help people to understand, that the Bible is life-changing in our century. Here we are in 2017, and in 2017, this book can actually change your life for the better. This book can set you on fire spiritually. And uh, if there's one thing that I want people to get away from, it's the idea that Christianity is just head knowledge, you know, believing in certain ideas that might be interesting but aren't life-changing. You see, the Bible doesn't just touch the head, it also touches the heart. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there are truths that can just really light up your life in a big way. And the more that people understand that, I think the more that uh, people will stop claiming that the Bible is irrelevant for today. Here's another question for you that I'm curious about. And and, uh, folks in the audience that are either engineers or mechanics or work in the technical field will understand this, that that typically for devices, it might be, well, in the radio industry, a, a broadcast transmitter or in the automotive industry, uh, your car, your truck, there are typically two manuals available. There is the technical manual that is written and intended for the guy that's going to get up underneath the hood and do repair work to your vehicle or the broadcast engineer that's going to keep the transmitter on the air. And then there's the operations manual. This is intended for the guy or gal that's going to sit behind the wheel every day and drive this vehicle down the road and needs to know how to apply things like how often do we change the oil, check the tire pressure, uh, where's the switch for the headlights, the emergency flashers, things of this sort. In, In some respects, and forgive me if that's not the most accurate analogy, Ron, but in some respects, do you see the key ideas Bible handbook is sort of your, your effort at providing sort of the owner, owner's manual to Scripture so that believers can get that aha moment and see and understand and apply for themselves the nuggets of truth and the value that is hidden inside of, and sometimes not all that hidden, it's, it's more obvious if folks would just take the time to read it, but they're inside of all 66 books of the Bible so that we can extrapolate and then apply to our lives for daily application every aspect of these truths. Well, you know, I think that's a helpful analogy, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, I think it's not only kind of like an uh, operation manual that shows you how to operate your life, but it's also got some little nuggets in there for those who want to go deeper. I have all kinds of little outline boxes and quotes from people throughout church history that take people deeper. And, you know, uh, talking about an operator's manual, you know, I've purchased an awful lot of products in the past, and I'm kind of intuitive. Sometimes I put things together without looking at the instructions. And more than once, I have busted the thing just right there before I finished putting it together. <laughs> Or, or, like on, or, or like on Christmas morning where you got the bicycle put together, but you're not quite sure what the 10 extra screws and nuts are for. Oh, uh, yeah, what are these screws for? <laughs> they the, must be spares. Know, That's always my time. excuse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the point that I'm making there is that in the same way, uh, if you don't operate your life according to the owner's manual, which is the Bible, well, you know what? You can bust your life up pretty quick. God is the one who created us. He knows exactly what makes our lives operate at, at optimum levels. And he's revealed that in the Word of God. And if we choose to ignore the the Word of God, then we're the ones that pay for it. So it's really in your own best interest to take this seriously. Well, and you know, contrary to the misconception that I think some have that either come from a a disenfranchised sort of jaded approach or others who have never been properly and fully instructed— 
the Bible is not intended to make our lives confusing, complicated, and more difficult. Um, it's it's not intended to be a, a headbuster, uh, but rather intended to make life easier and smoother, and to allow us to, in every aspect of the of the phrase, get to know our Maker and our Savior in a deeper, richer, more personable way. And I think, to a great degree, the Key Ideas Bible Handbook goes a long way toward helping the reader understand more of that, and not just understand more of Scripture, but then be able to say, okay, not only do I understand this, but now I know where and how it applies specifically to my life. And in that regard, I guess this is not only a great book for young believers, but anybody who's really looking to go a little bit deeper. Well, exactly. Uh, it's not just for young believers, but for believers who have maybe been studying the Bible for such a long time that they've become top-heavy. And by top-heavy, I mean that their brains are full of knowledge, but maybe they're not doing so good spiritually. Well, this is the kind of book that can change that. And by the way, uh, I have to watch out for that, too, and I'm sure that you do as well. There's a lot of us that do so much studying of Scripture, and we get our minds so filled with the facts of the Bible that sometimes people have a tendency not to pay as much attention to their devotional lives. And this book is devotional and inspirational from beginning to end. Yes, there's a lot of theology in it, but that theology is inspirational and life-changing. Well, the other thing, too, Ron, I think, is that sometimes, uh, and, and with no malice of forethought, I think sometimes we have been, and speaking for myself here, dismissive of certain aspects of Scripture, not to say that we don't uh, value it or recognize it as the inspired Word of God, but rather look at certain passages and say, well, you know, all this genealogy stuff, I mean, you know, maybe that helps if you're going to write a book or something, but do I really need to know that? Does it really apply to me? A Levitical law, I mean, my goodness, how deep can we quickly get lost in the book of Leviticus? And yet, as we said earlier, this is not just a historical document. This is educational and applicational. And so to the degree to which it can help to sort of rekindle that flame of passion for reading and applying God's Word, I think it's a, it's a great tool across the board, both for new believers as well as for the old folks like me. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate you saying that, and my prayer is that this would be a life-changing tool for everyone who's listening today. And uh, whether you're going through a genealogy or the book of Revelation or an epistle like the book of Galatians, all of it will touch your heart if you just take the chance and try it. And so the challenge is, are, are you going to be brave enough to try it? Are you going to get out there and, and take a look at the book and go through the Scriptures and let it change your life? You'll be better if you do. Well, and certainly the book makes the process a lot easier. So, uh, you know, with all the books that we review on this program, the number of guests that we come on, uh, a lot of them, and Jarrell can can attest to this, wind up over here in the bookcase uh, or given away. This one's going home with me. It's the Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts book by book. It is newly published by Harvest House, and its author has been our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Ron Rhodes. And Ron, is always great to have you on the show. Always an education. Keep up the good work, my friend, and we'll look forward to getting you on again real soon. Ron Rhodes, by the way, you can order the book directly online through his website, ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes with an H dot O-R-G. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know us, the baby boomer generation. I was born between 1946 and 1964, 76 million all told. 
And as that group of Americans reaches retirement age, sometimes even younger, 10,000 a day become eligible for retirement. It's commonly referred to by retirement planning experts as the grain of America. But of course, with this huge number of Americans that are getting older come all the things that attend older age, disability, illness, just the process of growing older. We are seeing an explosion in home caregiving, and it's for many reasons, many for very good altruistic reasons that families see the value and honor in keeping a loved one at home. We certainly did that with my grandmother when she was not really capable of staying by herself anymore. We never really thought that a so-called rest home, retirement center or such was appropriate because we wanted her to live out her years in her home and with her family. And by the grace of God, we were successful at accomplishing just that. Still growing numbers in America today that perhaps um, never thought about buying long-term care insurance, mistakenly thought they had it when they didn't, find out that something has happened. It could be uh, the product of growing older, just could be illness, disease, or an accident that causes a loved one to now be confined at home, and suddenly you find yourself in the position of being a caregiver. And while initially it sounds like you're just simply doing your duty, after a while, the days turn into weeks, turn into months, and in some cases turn into years. And as we learn, many of the people that do the caregiving wind up, while certainly doing a great and honorable thing, wind up shortening their own lives. How can we make life a bit better, a bit easier for caregivers, many of whom feel like they have no hope? Joining me now is Peter Rosenberger. He is founder of Caregivers with Hope. And Peter, great to have you on the program. First, let's kind of put this in context, if you would, by sharing a bit of your own story with your spouse, Gracie. Well, Craig, thank you for having me. And um, I, it has been a journey for me. I, I've been doing this now I'm in my 30th year. I met my wife a couple of years after she had had a horrible accident, and we met at college. She had returned to college and you know, I saw that she limped, and I knew that she had had a wreck, and I saw that she had some scars on her lower legs particularly, and, uh, did, but I didn't really have any frame of reference of what it was like to be in a relationship with someone who was hurt. She had already had 20 operations by the time I met her, uh, but we were young and optimistic and, and, and both very much in love, and quite truthfully, Craig, she's a babe. You know, and so <laughs> I was just thinking, this, this girl's a babe, but then I... Then I heard her sing, and, and I knew that the, that the soul that was there was just somebody that I wanted to care for for the rest of, of our life together. And I had no idea. I was just as dumb as a box of rocks when it came to this sort of thing. And uh, to give you a, a fast forward here, we're up to now that I can count 78 surgeries. Now, that's not all the procedures. That's just surgeries. She gave up both of her legs in the 90s. She's had more than $9 million worth of medical bills. It's probably closer to 10 or 11 now. Uh, 60 plus doctors. I stopped counting at 62 years ago, and she's had a dozen more come on since then. I think so. It's just, it just keeps escalating. Seven different uh, insurance companies, and <clears throat> 12 different hospitals where she's been treated. So, this has been a medical nightmare uh, that has never plateaued. We've had mo seasons where things are okay and it's not quite as dire. We do some fun things together, but then we have just constant grind of of issues that are going on. My message is all about stewardship for the caregiver. And I have to realize that I didn't do this to my wife. I didn't break her, and I can't unbreak her. I can't fix this. 
and God has me here for a much different purpose. This challenge, you know, when uh, we exchange vows at the altar, it's uh, in sickness and in health, and we r- kind of rattle through that, and, 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 and we, like the, uh, we like the living and the health part, the uh, sickness and the death do us part portion, we really don't give much context to. And, you know, in all fairness, we're young, we're starting out a new life together with uh, our loved ones, so we're probably not thinking about how things may end. And yet, inevitably, we know that everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And and for a lot of people, that uh, maybe suddenly there's just that sense of, oh my goodness, I, I don't recall signing up for this. Well, and they did. And, and that's just the bottom line. They did. And now some of the people that are doing this are not doing it for a spouse. They're doing it for uh, a parent, or they're doing it for a cousin, or a brother, or a neighbor, or there's just there, there's all kinds of things. Uh, I, I I spend a, a good bit of time talking with uh, people in the homosexual community that are taking care of somebody that's a, that's a friend, a neighbor, a partner, or whatever that they didn't have any kind of vows or anything. They're just in this situation. Uh, it, it's it's everywhere. It's affecting everybody. If you notice the other day uh, when um, uh, the Denver Broncos won the won the game, the, that's the first time that the AFC Championship trophy has been accepted by a caregiver, because Boland has uh, uh, the owner has Alzheimer's and his wife accepted it. It's everywhere, and it's affecting everybody from every kind of walk of life. Whether you're married, whether you're, you're just neighbors, whether you're in it's, you're living together, it doesn't matter. It's everywhere. If you love somebody, you're going to be a caregiver. If you live long enough, you're probably going to need one. All right, let's talk a bit about uh, this sudden shifting of roles. And I say shifting of roles because oftentimes we're, we're accustomed with, uh, you know, we're raising a family, raising kids, so uh, uh, doing things like fixing meals and bathing them and changing diapers. Well, we get all of that. We also get about the fact that they're eventually going to grow out of that process and be able to care for themselves. Sadly, that's not true in all cases. And when we talk about caregiving, particularly for the elderly, we understand that... The, the real end scenario is probably going to be deterioration, not the hopes of suddenly getting better. And so you, you know, you begin to sick, get sick at 84, and by the time you're 90, you're healthy as can be again. It doesn't work out that way. No, it doesn't. And you don't also have with uh, families with special needs children. Mm. Uh, my brother has a daughter with cerebral palsy. She's been this way uh, from birth, and she's basically like taking care of a two-year-old, and she's 27. So you're dealing with so many different dynamics in here. And what, I, what I've found, Craig, is this. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, but what I've found is the task of caregiving, uh, whether it's changing diapers, whether it's making meals or bathing and all those kinds of things, those things can be tedious and even unpleasant. But that's not really the heartache of a caregiver, I have found. Most people can kind of punch through those things. The heartache of the caregiver is that there doesn't seem to be any end in sight, that this thing could go on for, for so long and that they are losing themselves in this journey. Uh, caregivers suffer from three eyes, Greg. They lose their independence, they lose their identity, and they become isolated. And it's in that craziness that most caregivers start to despair and, and start to, to struggle those late-night conversations with the ceiling fan, and, and you're just wondering, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to be able to kind of get, get on with my life? And it slowly dawns on a lot of caregivers that this is our life. This is it. This is my life. And this has been my life for 30 years. 
and I've had to learn that I can live a healthier life in this. I could be happy in this, or I can be miserable in this. That, that's my choice. You know, I can't choose in, on the, the painful parts of life. We're going to have pain no matter how it comes, but I can choose on how I'm going to respond to it. And that's what I'm trying to learn as a caregiver each and every day myself. And, and I've also learned that healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And I can't simply throw myself recklessly at taking care of my wife with no regards to my own healthiness. And if I don't, if, if I do that, I end up compromising the one person standing between her and even further disaster, which is the caregiver. So there, there's a complex set of emotional challenges that go on with this, and that's what I'm speaking to these caregivers that are in the, the valley of the shadow of death, and it is a long valley. But you don't have to be miserable in it. We're as happy or as miserable as we want to be. So a lot of it has to do with a matter of perspective and attitude, and I want to talk a bit about that when we come back because, you know, truth be told, this is oftentimes lonely, very stressful. I recall when my godfather went through this with my godmother who had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Um, She had a very difficult, very painful last three, three and a half years and it got to the point in the last year or so of her illness, she did not want to be left alone for even a nanosecond. He was not only her primary caregiver, but she demanded that he be in her side for every second. I mean, he could have a neighbor come over to watch her just to give him an opportunity to go to the store. And as he is driving to the store, the poor thing would be on the telephone, on the cell phone, calling him, wanting to know when he was coming back. So dealing with those realities, how do we go about having the right perspective on this, the right attitude, so that indeed you as a caregiver can survive? We'll come back to that part of the equation. Peter Rosenberger, founder of Caregivers with Hope, information, by the way, on the web at caregiverswithhope.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Peter Rosenberger, our guest. He is founder of Caregivers with Hope on the web at caregiverswithhope.com. You know, Peter, as you know from your own experience, this can be physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, oftentimes financially draining to the point where a lot of people say, hope, I, I don't see any way out. For me, hope is, and I've heard caregivers at kind of the end of their physical, mental, emotional, relational rope say, for me, the only way out, the only relief is when my spouse passes. How do you go about changing your attitude, your mentality regarding this, this challenge that you're facing and, and be able to find hope? Well, there, <clears throat> there's several things. Uh, hope, hope for the Caregiver, and that's the name of my, my new book, is not hearts and rainbows and unicorns. It is the conviction that we as caregivers can live a calmer, healthier, and even more joyful life, even while dealing with grim realities. Now, everything in Scripture tells me that that's the case for us in our Christian walk. You know, Paul said this clearly over and over. You know, we see through the glass darkly right now. We don't see what's going on. We don't always know. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It, that's, our, that's our hope. Our hope is not in eliminating all the unpleasant things of this earth. That, that is not our hope. That is beyond my pay grade. Look down at your hands. If you don't see nail prints, this ain't yours to fix. Mm. You know, that's not our hope, is that we're some, somehow going to live a pain-free life. 
our hope is knowing that God has spared us as believers through something for, from something far worse than multiple amputations and Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's and, and 30 years' worth of, of chronic pain. He spared us from something far greater than that. And our hope is that as he is working out his purposes in all these things, we can trust him with that knowledge of, that he has saved us. He has rescued us from something far worse than this, and he is building this thing in a way that we just can't see. He's weaving his redemption through stuff that we just can't understand. And that's what gives us a new perspective so that we can look at the things in our life with trials and knowing that his perfect will is being worked out. And and Romans 8.28 comes into play here. You know, for I know these things. Paul didn't say, for I'm I'm guessing. He said, I know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That's our confidence. So when we're looking at somebody who we're having to, we can't reach anymore because they're impaired through pharmaceuticals or dementia or whatever, we can love them tapped in because we're tapped in the inexhaustible love of God through Christ. And you said before we went to the break, you know, that, that struggle that we have that when, when they won't let go and, and the, 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 your godfather was trying to go to the grocery store and, and, and your godmother kept calling. This is what I want to tell my fellow caregivers. They're going to do stuff that, that's going to absolutely drive us up the wall sometimes. They're not doing it to us. They're just doing it. And we don't have to take everything so personally. They don't want to be sick. They don't want to deal with dementia. They don't want to deal with chronic pain. They don't want to be doing all this stuff. We just happen to be the closest person to them. But we can learn to let some of that go and not take it all personally. You know, what is it Mother Teresa once said? You know, bless you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege of serving you in your many horrible disguises. Mm. And, and, you know, you can, you can be all bent out of shape about this. But my goal for caregivers is that when we do stand at a grave, and one day, most likely, we will. And that's the goal, by the way, is that for a caregiver to stand in the grave, not be in the grave first. And that's a hard thing to say, but that's the reality. But that we stand there without clenched fists, without fists that are clenched at, at our loved one, at families and friends that didn't maybe help the way we wanted them to, at, at, at ourselves for what we could have, would have, should have done, or even at God, that we can learn to live peacefully with these things. Even if your loved one is not dealing with all this stuff, you're not living a trouble-free life. Everybody's got something going on. This is just a little bit more accelerated, and it requires us to, to bend our will into the will of God more and faster than we probably would otherwise. Is part of this, Peter, sort of the, the natural flesh inclination to push back against um, this aspect of the reality of life. I, I, I often, when, when there's been debates over things like, uh, oh, we want to legalize, uh, say, uh, physician-assisted suicide, because we, we refer to this as death with dignity. And I, and I often think to myself, well, wait a minute, since when is death dignified? Uh, the deterioration of our body and going through pain and agony and all of that stuff, there's nothing dignified about that. Why don't we focus on living, living with dignity? And death, sadly, is a product of man's sin nature, it's our fallen condition. Is it, is it helpful for the caregiver to be reminded of that, or are we just kind of pushing back against the reality of the grave and maybe our own sense of, of mortality? Well, I think what happens is, is we, we, are, we are screaming out for relief. And so we, we rush to things like, uh, you know, euthanizing, things like that, and, and so forth. We're just screaming out for relief. And, and I, I, I've taken a different 
path. I mean, again, I've, I've been doing this for, for three decades. I've been doing this since the first Cold War. <laughs> but I, you, you learn to accept that maybe relief is not the thing that we're supposed to be seeking so much, is learning to trust God in this. And we place our scared hand in his scarred hand and learn to say, okay, well, how do I deal with this today? See, nobody can do this for a lifetime, Craig, but anybody can do it for 24 hours. And that's really kind of how we as caregivers have to learn to live. You can only start screaming and crying and praying and, and God bail me out of this, God bail me out of this, God get me out of this, or the government get me out of this, somebody get me out of this. You can only do that for so long before that becomes kind of tedious. And you have to learn to say, okay, how do I be sustained in this? And your prayer changes. God sustain me in this. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. So instead of focusing on our suffering, focus instead on our serving. Well, exactly. And, and, and focus on what God is doing in the midst of these things. You know, you go back and look at Solzhenitsyn after he got out of the Russian prison, and he said, you know, bless you prison for the change you've made in my life. I mean, something happened to him in that prison. Corey Tin Boone, you know, uh, I could just go down the list of, of people, Victor Frankl and all these other people who experienced life on a much greater level in the midst of some very, very harsh, harsh thing. Nelson Mandela, he went into prison almost as a terrorist and came out a statesman. And there's a point where we walk through these suffering, we walk through these bleak things, but if we are willing to, to go inward and to be changed in a healthy direction through this thing, we find that we, we can experience a, a quality of life that we thought was unattainable. There's beauty everywhere. There's excitement everywhere. There's joy everywhere. But it, sometimes we allow these things to obfuscate our view because this does affect us, like you said, our health, our emotions, our lifestyle, our profession, our money. Everything about this is affected. But is that necessarily a bad thing, and is it causing us to act like jerks? See, I, I'm from the mindset that that this does not cause character defects. It amplifies what's already there, and mm. it gives us an opportunity to deal with this in a healthy manner if we so choose. And the question then becomes, like I said at the beginning of the conversation, it's all about stewardship. How can I be the best steward for my wife? How can I be the best steward for me? What is the best choice for the unit? And as your godfather found out, that sometimes he had to get away. And he has to recognize that it's more important for him to have moments of respite and healthiness, and he's just going to have to not answer the phone so that he can be a healthy person. She needs him healthy, and people that are in pain or people that are diseased or whatever, impaired, they can't always see that. And so it's up to the caregiver to make those unilateral decisions without guilt, recognizing that they're, doing, they're loving them better when they're becoming healthier as an individual. And of course, the irony is we, we also sometimes, I think, Peter, focus on our inconvenience, the difficulty, the trial that we are facing, and we perhaps, as close as we are to the situation, uh, cause our, our, our perspective to become very distant. And by that, I mean we forget about the fact that that individual who was in the bed doesn't want to be there, didn't ask for this, doesn't prefer this, doesn't see this as a better option, would much rather be up and about and living life as opposed to being bedridden or dependent upon another person to do everything from take them to the bathroom to change their diapers, to shower them, feed them, shave them, all of that. Um, we sometimes forget that. And, and to remember that when they do on occasions lash out, when they do get upset, it's only at the closest person because they're really looking at their circumstance and their situation. And maybe because we're, we're so close, we lose eyesight of that. 
it's very easy to do it. That's where the flashpoints come as a caregiver. And, you know, when I get in those points, I, I, it, it's hard to push a wheelchair with clenched fist. Mm-hmm. I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> you, can't be, you can't be that hacked off and try to push a wheelchair. And, and you know, I can't, if I'm going to change a dressing on my wife, I'd rather do it with, with tears on my cheek than with my teeth grinding, you know? And I think it helps for me to remember how much Christ condescends to me. And if I keep that in perspective, I usually can navigate through these these quagmires and these landmines a little bit easier. Um, but when I when I get so wrapped up in my own self, that's when it's hard. But but there there are tools and strategies that we as caregivers. That's what we're all about at Caregivers with Hope is helping those caregivers learn to how to navigate these things so you don't set off those those emotional landmines that seem to go off in these in these high crisis moments. And I want to encourage listeners, by the way, Peter, on the heels of that exhortation, to take advantage of the website. There's a lot of great resources there. The big message, as you're hearing tonight, is you're not alone. Um, yes, it could be worse than this, so be grateful in what you have. It's a matter of your attitude, your perspective, and and as Peter, I think, very aptly mentioned, uh, people don't turn nasty and cruel because they're dealing with someone that is in the important circumstance of needing, requiring a caregiver. It it rather amplifies that pre-existing character flaw. And so to learn how to examine this through the magnifying glass of Scripture and then get the right attitude, the right perspective from a biblical viewpoint, from Christ's viewpoint, can be all the difference, can be very freeing for you. Information again on the web at caregiverswithhope.com. That's caregiverswithhope.com. And our thanks to Peter Rosenberger, founder of Caregivers with Hope, for being with us tonight on Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.